turn with me to the book of Hosea chapter 10 beginning at verse 10 I woke up this morning and three words came to my mind which will become our title tonight Pay attention during the reading. You've heard me preach before. You know my style of preaching. Maybe you'll be able to pick out the title before I give it to you. Hosea chapter 10, verse 10. It is so good to be in God's house tonight. This is, a, this is random, so just take it for what it is. Uh, we get in these moods around our house every once in a while where we just go through things and we just say, you know what? We got to declutter. We got to get rid of some stuff. And uh, last night, that pertained to the master bedroom closet. And so I have two trash bags and a front seat full of clothes of mine. Okay, There are suits in there. In fact, I was pulling suits out and the boys asked me, Dad, have, do you ever, is this every suit you've ever owned? I said, well, that's possible. At least the jackets. So they're going to fit you best if you wear a long. If you wear a 44 long, a 46 long, or a 48 long, there's probably one in there for you. And uh, Sister Deborah, I don't know. I don't remember what size Brother Ben wears, but... You're welcome to go through them for him. There's dress shirts in there all the way from my skinny days. In fact, Isaiah, wave your hand. Isaiah is wearing a custom-made dress shirt that was made for me in my skinny days. It's a little big on him, but it works. I'm thankful God delivered me from that. Y'all think fasting is hard. Try living and eating and still starving. No. That was a joke. I wasn't. I just like donuts more than I like salad. And uh, we went school shopping for Zeke in my closet. He came away with nine or ten, ten shirts. And he's got one of my custom dress shirts. So if you see them walking around and they got my initials on their sleeve, you'll know that's where it came from. And uh, there's some there's some pants in there, suit pants. Uh, jeans, what have you. And uh, if you're interested, come see me after church. We'll go get them out of my truck together and we'll take them to the conference room and dump them out so you can go through them. There's shirts of various size, large, extra large, 2X that shrunk. And uh, so if you're somewhere between a large and a 2X, buddy, I got you covered. In Jesus' name. So anyway, that has nothing to do with preaching, but I want to clean my truck out tonight after church. So Jesus' name. Isn't it fun living for God? Come on, Brother Chase, help me with that smile. <laughs> there it is. It sneaks out on him. It's been sneaking out more and more. I love it. Jesus' name. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 10. It is in my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim 
is in heifer. <laughs> We're not preaching about Ephraim being a heifer, okay? No heifers tonight, okay? Ephraim is in heifer that is taught, loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over upon her fair neck, and I'll make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his clods. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and reign righteousness upon you. Ephraim is an heifer that is taught and loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. My title tonight are the next three words. Judah shall plow. Judah shall plow. Let's put our Bibles down and let's go before the Lord in prayer tonight. God, we love you and we thank you for this great congregation that you have blessed us with. I thank you for each and every individual, each and every family that is here tonight. God, I pray that we would leave encouraged, strengthened. I pray, God, that your will would be done in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. God, I pray that we would receive a revelation of how Judah plows tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that your will would be accomplished all over this place. We love you. We thank you. We are quick to give you praise. We are quick to give you honor. We are quick to give you glory tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Why don't we all clap our hands unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords tonight. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated tonight. So to yourselves in righteousness reap in mercy break up your fallow ground we read in the book of Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12 these words when we begin to discuss Judah plowing it is important for us to first understand the need for the plow. In this instance, he was speaking about more than simply agriculture. But he said, break up your fallow ground. He was telling Hosea to tell the people of the land, your hearts are as ground. Your hearts are like the ground that is overrun with weeds. Your hearts are like the ground which have need to be plowed and broken up by conviction. By godly sorrow for sin. There are things in our lives that, that we all face that if we are not careful, we'll overcome the ground in which God desires to plant His seed. We are not going to take the time tonight to talk about the parable of the sower but we understand the importance of having quality ground we understand the importance of fertilization we understand the importance of more than man-made chemicals there is also a need for organic material 
There's also a need for naturally occurring products or naturally occurring byproducts to be applied to the land, leaves, grass, and so on that break down and release those organic chemicals into the ground. But here, the, the Lord is speaking to Hosea and He's telling them and He's using the analogy of this agricultural uh, process to tell them there are things in the heart that must be plowed. There are things that must be taken care of. For it is time. It was not because God was interested in harming them. It was not because God was interested in shunning them. But he said it is time to worship God. It is time to seek the Lord. It is time to seek reconciliation with him he's preaching to a backslidden nation it is time to seek peace with him it's time to seek his favor it's time to be conformed to his will it's time to seek him with earnest desire persevering diligence in the use of everything that you have at your disposal it's time to seek the lord we see the importance of it as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 as the New Living Translation puts it. For God says, at the just the right time I heard you. And just the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I've heard you in a time accepted. And in the day of salvation have I secured thee or helped Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now, today is the day of salvation. We must understand that God desires to respond to us. We've been preaching about it over the last several services that there is a response that God desires and the response that he desired from the people to whom Hosea was preaching was I want them to get their hearts and their minds ready to seek after me because there are things that I want to put into them. There is something that I want to do in their life again that they've never experienced before. But there's got to be some work that is done. We have to prepare for just the right time. There was work that needed to be done. Break up your fellow ground, for it is time. It is high time. If you mean to live for God at all, it's time. If there is a desire in your heart or in your spirit to live for God, don't wait another day. You tell them, Hosea, that right now is the time. It is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. That is, He is ready to pour out His grace. He is ready to pour out His blessings upon you according to what He has promised. Let me tell you this evening that there are benefits daily. He loadeth me with benefits. There are benefits in living for the Lord. And God says, I want you to experience everything that I have for you. If you will just seek me, it is time. It is time. It is time. 
He spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 3. And he said, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Don't be satisfied sowing in the field that is filled with thorns. You might see something, but the parable of the sower would tell us that the thorns will choke out the seeds. And so he tells Jeremiah and he tells Hosea, uh, there's a harvest that I want to see. What are we doing in the month of August, Pastor? We're breaking up the fallow ground. We're making sure there's nothing in us that would hinder the move of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know about you, but I feel real good. I said I feel real good about what God's doing. I feel real good about how the ground is breaking up in my life and in my mind and in my family. I want to tell you that I have no desire as an individual. I have no desire as a believer. I have no desire as a husband, as a father, or as a pastor for there to be fellow ground in my world or in my circle of influence. If I have anything to do with it, the fellow ground deserves, listen to me, the fellow ground deserves to experience the harvest. What is fallow ground, Pastor? Fallow ground is usually cultivated ground that is allowed to lie idle during the growing season. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact that as you have fasted, your prayer life has not decreased but increased tells me that the ground is being worked but we're not leaving it idle we're not working it over and say you know what I'm just going to let it lay there for a few weeks and, and let it air out and let you know some of this ground is, has been waterlogged for a while and it smells a little funny so I'm just going to let this stuff air out for a while no sir but what we are doing is we're breaking up the fallow ground and we are not only getting it ready for the harvest but we are sowing the seed we are sowing the seeds of prayer we are sowing the seeds through our fasting but believe it or not I haven't come tonight to preach about fallow ground I haven't even come tonight to preach about sowing the seeds but we do need to understand that the hearts of God's people had become as hardened as fallow ground in their backslidden condition. It was ground that had been broken up, but it hadn't received the seed. And over time, the ground becomes like a crust, and the seed cannot penetrate the crust. So the ground has to be broken up again before the seed can be planted. Let me just pause here before we continue and let me just let me just tell us tonight as a collective body that we cannot be satisfied with a slight furrowing 
We cannot be satisfied with just our hearts being stirred just a little bit. We can't be satisfied with just a few goosebumps on Sunday morning and a few goosebumps on Sunday night. And we can't get that in the mindset that that means I'm okay or that means that God's doing everything he wants to do. He said, let the land that was fallowed, let the land that was slightly plowed be broken up again. I want my crown to be broken with a deep furrow. I want it to affect everything from this point forward. In other words, we can't be satisfied with a mere stirring of our hearts. There's got to be a true change of thought and a true change of life. And that begins to happen when we say, you know what, God? He might have asked me to go a mile. You might have asked me to go a mile, but I'm going two miles. You might have asked me to fast one day a week. I'm going to fast two. You might have asked me to fast a couple of days a week. I'm going to fast three. I'm going to fast four. I'm going to fast for seven. I can't tell you how proud I am of those who have said you know what pastor I really am falling in love with this thing I want to go further I want to add to my fasting I want to add to my prayer Tonight I have not come to, to focus on the fallowness of ground or the necessity of good soil in which the seed can grow. But as I awoke this morning, God spoke these three words to me, which I have applied as the title of this message tonight, Judah shall plow. I began to research. I began to study again. And that's those three words are what he gave me as I came across the, the three words put together during my study in Holy Hosea chapter 10 and verse 11 and Ephraim is as an heifer that is taught. Ephraim loves to tread out the corn. But just treading out the corn wasn't enough for Ephraim. That wasn't all I had for Ephraim. I didn't just want Ephraim locked in to one role. I didn't want Ephraim just comfortable attached to the mill. I didn't want Ephraim just comfortable living on the inside of the, the grist mill in the barn and, and just walking around in circles but never getting anywhere and just munching to her heart's to content or munching to his heart's content. I, I, didn't, I didn't intend for that to be Ephraim's only role in the history. And so what I did was, he's saying, is I grabbed the yoke and I fit the yoke on Ephraim's neck. And it went a step further. He said, I'm also going to make Ephraim to ride. Ephraim has got to get out of the barn. We're not preaching about Ephraim tonight. He continues by saying, Judah shall plow. And Jacob shall break his clods. Now, if we were just simply studying the historical context and the geographical context of this verse, then we would get the understanding that what God is saying to Hosea includes the fact that Judah is going to prepare a way. The kingdoms are divided. The, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah are divided. It's Judah and Benjamin. And then it's the other ten tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah's going to make a way and Israel's going to follow. 
they're going to work in tandem. But we've got to understand that Judah is going to be responsible for pulling the plow. Judah's going to be responsible for working the plow into the ground and breaking up the fallowness of the ground. Judah was first mentioned as the son of Jacob and Leah in Genesis chapter 29. Verse 35 is the last verse of that chapter, which is where he is mentioned. One commentator puts it this way. He says, names were very significant. And those which Leah gave to her sons were expressive of her different feelings of thankfulness and joy. The different feelings that she experienced due to the circumstances in the history of her family. There was piety and wisdom in attaching these names to her sons. And the, the significance of the name goes further because the name was meant to keep the bearer of the name in remembrance of his duty and in the remembrance of his identity in God. And so the names that Leah gave to her children were expressed with respect and regard both to God and to her husband. And in verses 31 through 35, we read the, the history and the, the record of the birth of her four sons to Jacob. The names of which begin in, well, they begin in verse 32, but verse 31 says, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was buried. When the Lord saw that she was hated, when the Lord saw that she was less loved, when the Lord saw that she was not getting everything that she deserved, everything that was accounted to her, when the Lord saw that, you know what, she may not look like everybody else, and, and she may not be as pretty as her sister, she may not be the apple of Jacob's eye, I'm going to do something for her. It indicates to us tonight that the fact that God opened her womb tells us that her womb had been closed before or at least it had not had the opportunity to bring forth life. But there's something about Leah that we begin to understand in the 29th chapter of Genesis that she had qualities of heart. It may not have been outward appearances that commanded her respect and commanded her esteem, but she had learned to acknowledge the Lord God in all of her ways. Let me remind you tonight that it was not Leah who stole her father's idols. It was Rachel. It was the one that was pretty. It was the one that everybody loved to look at. It was the one that was the most uh, appealing to humanity. And that was the one that stole her father's idols. But over there is tender-eyed Leah. And tender-eyed Leah said, you know what? I grew up around that. And I don't want anything to do with my daddy's idolatry. I want to serve the Lord God of Jacob. And there's something that happened. We're not quite sure where it happened. Perhaps it was after, after she was married and she realized that she was less loved. And she had just been pawned off as tradition. She begins to find her value not in her husband but in the God of her husband. Leah conceived and bare a son and she called his name Reuben. 
She said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. The name Reuben has several interpretations to its meaning. One of which is the eye of the Lord is upon the sufferer. The Lord has looked on my affliction. He saw and behold a son. Verse 33, she conceived again and bare a son. It says, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, whose name means the answer. I prayed to you, God, and you answered. Have you been praying? God hasn't answered yet. Don't stop praying. Don't stop acting in faith. Reuben and now Simeon. And we would, we would assume that, that all of the reproach is gone and we would assume that her identity is now lifted. But that was not the case. And so we see in verse 34, which provides us more context, that she conceived again and bare a son. And listen to the words that she says. Now, this time. Will my husband be joined unto me? Leah, he's been joined. Your third baby. But in the history of the world at that time, it was not until a woman had given her husband three sons that he was looked down on for leaving her. Now she's got three boys. Now, he can't leave me. That tells me that somewhere in the back of Leah's mind, and this isn't Mother's Day, but it could be. In the back of her mind after Reuben, she's still thinking, man, there's, there's still a chance. There's still a chance that I'll do something that upsets him. There's still a chance that he'll leave me. There's still a chance that he'll abandon me. And then after Simeon, God, I know this is my answer. Still, I'm a little worried. Now after Levi, she said, now he's joined to me because I've borne him three sons. And so she called his name Levi, which means union or the reconciler. Then in verse 35, she conceives again and bear a son. And she said, now Will I praise the Lord? Therefore she called his name Judah and she left having babies. She said the first may not have satisfied every longing. The second was an answer. The third was he was joined to me. But now I know that God wasn't just hearing my prayer based upon Jacob's connection to me. But he's heard me for me. And so I'm going to name this one Judah. I'm naming this one praise. I'm naming this one after my response to the king of kings and the lord of lords I want to preach to us tonight that there's something that praise can do that not 
not everybody else can do. There's something Judah can do that not everybody else can do. Reuben can't plow. Simeon can't plow. Levi can't plow. But you put Judah in the on the forefront of the church service and Judah's going to plow, baby. That's why we begin our services with praise and worship because we walk in those doors burdened down and we need the fallow ground to be broken up. We need Judah. We need praise. I told you I'm not preaching about fallow ground. I'm not preaching about Ephraim and a heifer. I'm preaching to us tonight. We need Judah to break up the fallow ground. We've got to have praise to plow. Judah, Judah is the ancestor of the promised seed. And so, Leah may not have been the wife of preference, but she became the wife of priority. And when his wives die, Rachel's buried over there yonder some underneath some tree he said we're taking Leah and we're burying her with the patriarchs Leah's going to share a grave she's going to share in the family sepulcher with Abraham and Sarah Isaac and Rebecca you lay Leah in there because through Leah came Judah and through Judah would come Jesus Christ and so the wife of priority became the wife of preference despite the fact that she was not preferable in the beginning and she said son I know that God has looked upon me for me today. And so I'm going to praise all over this house. I'm going to praise in the delivery room. I'm going to praise every chance I get. Judah, you're identified by my thankfulness. I believe the first sounds that old little baby Judah heard were the sounds of his mama saying, Glory be to Jehovah. You can read from the scholarly sources and you'll discover that, that scholars and historians, theologians find it incredible that both Leah and the narrator who writes the record of the book of Genesis all use the proper name, the Old Testament name of God. And it wasn't found like that throughout the Old Testament. But Leah, it's a revelation of who he is. And the name Judah comes from the same root word as thankfulness. Pastor, I just don't know if I got the energy to praise him. Pastor, I've, I'm on my third day of fasting. I just don't know if I got it in me. You got to have Judah to plow. 
There's something that Judah can do that nobody else can do. Ephraim can't do it, and even Jacob can't do it. Jacob will come along behind and break up the clods, but i got to have Judah to drive the plow into the ground. And when it hits a rock, Judah's going to kick the rock out of the way. And we're plowing through. I'm plowing through my flesh. I'm plowing through my mind. I'm plowing through the circumstance. Judah knows how to plow. Judah knows how to break up the ground. Every time I dance, every time I shout, every time I worship, Judah's plowing. Judah's plowing the barrenness of my mind, the barrenness of my spirit. I'm telling you, church, We've got to have Judah behind the plow. We don't drive Judah. Judah drives us. Thankfulness is attached to Judah naked came I from my mother's womb naked I shall return but blessed be that name Job your world's falling apart your herds were the first to go the tools that you use to worship God are gone Judah's not gone Judah's still here. Your kids are gone. Judah's still here. Because I'm still thankful. I'm still thankful. I've got a reason to be thankful. I've got a reason to be grateful. Judah! Plow the field! When you come into church and you're tired from a long day, you got to have Judah behind the plow. Come on, I know you get up before the sun does. I know you're tired when you come into church. I respect that. I honor that. I recognize that. But what I also recognize is that when my strength ends, his does not. I understand when we come into church and we've been fasting, our body doesn't feel like worshiping. Our body doesn't feel like praising. But his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And when I am weak, then am I strong? I got to have Judah because Judah shall plow. He's preaching to backsliders. If you'll just get Judah back where Judah belongs, Judah will plow the field himself. Praise can break through what you can't break through on your own. Praise can break through what analysis cannot understand. Praise will break through. Judah! Plow. Judges chapter 1. Verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? 
Notice, they didn't ask, who are we going to elect to be our next leader? They said, which tribe should go up? Verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. We don't know who's going to lead. We don't know how it's going to work out. But if I get praise... That's my response, honey. If I can get praise on the forefront, everything else will follow. Because in the hand of Judah, in the hand of praise, there is victory. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Judah shall plow. And watch what Judah does in verse 3. Judah said to Simeon, his brother, hey, come with me. Let's fight against the Canaanites together. You come with me and I'll go with you. So Simeon went with him. His big brother. Now, we're talking tribes at this point. But still, it's his big brother. His mama's answer to prayer gets hooked up with praise. I got a reason to be thankful. And every time I look at Simeon, I'm going to remember mama's prayer was answered. And that's going to drive me forward. And let me just tell you, Judah is not content just being all by himself. Judah said, hey, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You go with me and I'll go with you and we'll see victory. We're going up. I said, we're going up. Well, we crossed over and we've been living in the land for a little while. It feels good. We're not satisfied just living on the outskirts, honey. We're taking all of it. Judah's got a place. You're going to take my word for it. Do the research on your own tonight, tomorrow, whenever. You ain't reading the book of Numbers. Judah was the largest of the tribes. Judah's inheritance was the biggest because they had the most people. But Judah said, you know what? I'm not puffed up. If you'll come with me and you'll help me, we're going to conquer the largest chunk first. The inheritance was dealt out by reason of population, by the census. And so Judah's got the biggest slab of land. So if you'll go with me, first of all, praise occupies more space. Reuben, then Gad, then Naphtali, then Manasseh, then Ephraim, then Levi. Judah's got the biggest slice of the pie. I want to be on Judah's side. Because Judah knows how to conquer. 
Who goes up first? Judah goes up first. And Judah said, you know what? I don't want to go up by myself. I want somebody else to experience this. They may not be as big as me. They may not be as far down the road as me. But I want you to go with me. And you're going to remind me of all of my mama's answered prayers. Simeon, you're going to remind me of the times that mama prayed. Simeon, you're going to remind me that mama prayed. And then she gave thanks. You're going to remind me that God hears the prayers of those who are not top tier. Of those who are not first choice. You're going to remind me of those. Of those moments when the preferred took the place of the priority and vice versa. You're going to remind me. Those most number, numerous. Genesis 49 and verse 8 tells us why. We see Jacob or Israel lying on his deathbed talking to his sons. And he looks at Judah. And he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. He wasn't talking about Judah right then in that moment, but there's one coming from you. There's one that's going to come from your offspring, Judah, that your brethren are going to praise. You need to know who you are, son. You need to get your head wrapped around your identity. Your hand shall be in the neck of your enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah, I need you to understand who you are. Judah, I need to understand. I need you to understand your power. I need you to understand the precedent that you set. When we come into church and we partake of praise and we start giving thanks, we are partaking in Judah's promise and his hand is on the neck of his enemy. I might have been beat down when I came in, but I'm look, walking out the victor. I'm not walking out defeated. I'm walking out the conqueror and more than. Judah shall plow. Fallowness of the ground says you never, you shouldn't sow the seed. But Judah said, get me behind that plow. You, you mix that bag of seed with some Judaistic praise and you see what God's going to do and the hand of Judah is on his neck. When I come into the church to pray and when I come in on my own, I have the opportunity to get a hold of Judah's spirit and say we're going to plow until we see the harvest. I'm hurrying. Numbers 34 and verse 19 describes to us how Caleb, the giant slayer, was from the tribe of Judah. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. While you're turning there, if you were to study the, the layout of Israel's camp in the wilderness, You'll find that Judah was stationed at the east with Issachar and Zebulun. Judah was always first when they set out marching. And on Judah's standard, on their banner, 
that they would hold up high and they would march with their banner was emblazoned the head of a lion. Everywhere we go, we're following the lion of the tribe of Judah. Every time they marched, every time the Spirit moved, guess who moved first? Judah moved first. Every time the cloud moved, every time the pillar of fire moved, Judah's got to go first. Everything else comes behind Judah. Everything else comes behind praise. Judah's plowing the way. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, please, Brother Stratton. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Judah is plowing the way. Judah is saying, guess what? There's power when you get connected to praise. There's redeeming power when you get connected to praise. There is delivering power when you get connected to praise. There is salvific power when you get connected to praise. That through the lineage named praise, with its lion standard and its lion courage, we come David, another giant slayer. Jesus Christ. You see, it was more than just a symbol on a banner. Is it ironic to us that that symbol would have been lifted high into the air? Lion. Tribe of Judah. Everybody's got to see it. Lifted high into the air so it can be followed. And on that dreaded day that was most the most dreaded and also most blessed day in the history of mankind. They stretched him wide and hung him high. And he was as the banner, the lion of the tribe of Judah, not on a, a piece of fabric, but wrapped in humanity. Judah was still plowing. I said Judah was still plowing. Oh, he's plowing for the backslider. He's plowing for the prodigal. He's plowing for the new convert. He's plowing for the lost. He's plowing for the stagnant. He's plowing for the revivalist. He's plowing for all of humanity. The lion of the tribe of Judah he has prevailed. You see, there was also a problem in Judah's family. It started with his firstborn into Ur. Who was wicked in the eyes of God to such a degree, the Bible says that God slew him. God killed him. And then Judah's second born son, Onan, is supposed to go in to Tamar, Ur's wife. And he is displeasing to God. 
God kills him. Judah has another son. He tells Tamar, hey, when he's of age, come get you. Doesn't happen. Because the enemy hates praise. And if he can get your praise askewed, it'll become something it was never intended to be. All the while, it seems as though Judah would not become the fulfillment that his mother had seen him to be as she praised God over him. I'm coming to a close. Musicians, come. But there is something that was put into Judah. That was put into this man that would then be transferred into his lineage that would cause God to say, the ground needs plowed and Judah can do it. Perhaps we got a glimpse of it when Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. They're supposed to go to Egypt for the second time. Their brother, Simeon, locked up behind. Reuben, firstborn, steps up and says, Dad, put him under my care. If he doesn't come back, you can kill my children. What a loving guy. Jacob says, that's not good enough. I'm not looking for somebody to send their son. And Judah steps forward. You'll catch that last bit in a minute. Judah steps forward and says, Dad, I'll take him. And if he doesn't come again, you can take my life. Not my children. Not my son. I'll step in. We get a glimpse of what Judah can do. We get a glimpse, Sister Sherry, of who Judah is. And so, we need to understand the power of our praise. We need to understand the power of exuberant praise. Demonstrative worship. That when we come into the house of God and the ground needs plowed, maybe it's not your ground. Maybe your ground's great. Maybe your ground is soft. Maybe your ground is the perfect mixture of sand, silt, and clay. Maybe it is that when you pick up that ground, it's got enough moisture content in it that you can pick up a little bit and you can start making a, a ribbon with the ground. This is the future Farmers of America Soils team coming out in me right now. You didn't know I went to competitions and competed, telling them what kind of ground they had. Didn't know that would come in handy in the ministry. Man, this is a little... It's clay. It's not permeable. Nutrients can't get through. 
Well, we can't have sand either because it won't hold anything. So there's a mixture. Maybe that's the way your ground is. Maybe it's perfect. Maybe you've got trees blooming, fruit popping out everywhere. God bless you. I'm thankful for moments like that, but I'm just going to be real with you. There are some days when my ground is crusted over and I got thorns and thistles and rocks. I got weeds. I got trees growing where they don't belong. I got poison ivy. Toxicodendron radicans. That's poison ivy. Poison oak. Poison sumac. There's days where my soil's a mess. There's days where my soil has been infiltrated by the world. There are days where my mind has been beaten and my spirit has been bruised and shattered. But when I come into the house of God, Judah shall plow. Judah makes the way. Oh, the lion of the tribe of Judah would make a way where there was no way. Judah shall plow. When we come into the house of God, Judah shall plow. Praise can plow. Praise can break through. Play, praise is comely for the upright. Praise is appropriate. It's beautiful. It's love. By the upright. You may not feel like exerting energy. You may be going through turmoil. You might be worried. You might be frightened. You might be unsure. But praise plows through all of that. You might need answers. And you may not know how to break through. Praise can plow through that. Hosea was living in a divided kingdom. Ephraim wanted to take it easy. And Israel wasn't ready. But God said, Judah can do it. Praise breaks up the fallow ground. Praise prepares the soil. Praise breaks me loose. I said, praise breaks me loose. Judah was called to go up after Joshua's death to lead Israel into battle. Praise doesn't like being alone. So he invited Simeon to join him. Your praise plows for others. Ask Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 in a Philippian jail. They had been beaten. They had been battered. They had been bruised. They had been humiliated. They were in stocks. They were chained up sitting in filth sitting in muck sitting in mire if anybody had a reason not to praise God it was Paul and Silas they were both Hellenistic Jews that means that they were Greek speaking Jews traditional Jews didn't even like them if anybody had a reason to feel outcasted it was Paul and Silas if anybody had a reason not to worship God, it was Paul and Silas. But around midnight, they said, you know what? We're not going to sit here crying. We're not going to sit here idly by. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. We're going to make the most of this time. 
we're going to praise God. And so Paul and Silas sang a duet, Brother Brian. They sang a duet, and all of a sudden, God begins to answer them. God says, you know what Judah's doing right now? Judah's plowing the ground in the middle of a Philippian jail, in the prison cell. Judah's plowing the ground, and the earth started quaking. And the prison doors were loosed. And they had revival in Philippi because a couple of guys said, you know what? I'm grabbing hold of Judah. I'm grabbing a hold of praise. I wonder if I got anybody here tonight that would say, you know what, Pastor? I need some strength. Let Judah plow. Let Judah plow. Revival happens. Revival happens when you let Jesus, Judah plow. I will find my back.